0: Legal disclaimer, Stamp Show Here Today, its affiliates and organizations are not responsible for any maiming, dismemberment, or physical injury from listening to this podcast. It is suggested that all listeners wear proper head protection and fasten all seatbelts. Discontinue use of rash develops? Ask your physician if Stamp Show Here Today is right
1: for you. This show is dedicated to Larry Brassler. Live from Stamp Show Here Today infotainment complex, this is the award-winning Stamp Show Here Today. If you can dream it, we can collect it. Brought to you by the Southern Nevada Philatelic Research Center, a nonprofit 501c3 corporation for the advancement of philately. You can support this witless Tosh by joining the Stamp Show Here Today community. The cost is only $10 for a lifetime membership. We are an APS affiliated club. Listen to the in credits for information on joining. This is Cash. This is retired Admiral of the Fleet Mark. This is Jim. This is Scott. And uh, we have a shout-out to Carol, who is uh, the person who has come in several times and been contacting uh, for Mail for Fun. And she sent me this uh, as a press release, so I'll read it as a press release. Carol R. here wishing everyone a second annual Happy Mail for Fun Month, as was decreed by Stamp Show here today, episode number 375. That's us. Keep the handwritten mail viable and enrich the lives of those around you by sending cards and letters through the post office. And then uh, mail for fun. So everybody mail somebody a letter today.
2: Well, that's November, isn't it?
1: Yes, this is in November.
2: Oh, well, I just mailed my son something two days ago, so I guess I'm going to have to mail him something else.
1: Well, it doesn't count if it's not in November. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) So, uh, another shout out to uh, David Kay. He sent us a picture of a stamp, and unfortunately because it's a picture, it's hard to uh, convey, but it is British Central Africa Protectorate, a little oval red circle on a piece of paper with a black border around it. And it appears to be embossed. And and it's 15 pounds. That's the currency, not the weight. So he wrote to us, I seem to recall from one of the Stamp Show Here Today podcasts that you are willing to provide information gained from your vast experience to help others in identifying stamps. And we are. Mm. So... uh, Actually, I gave this to Lloyd, who has been on the podcast a couple times.
2: Many moons ago.
1: Yes. And if you look in Nyassa land in the Scotts catalog or uh, inside of the Stanley Gibbons, it's uh, stamp number 53. There is a stamp very close to this, except instead of saying 15 pounds, it says one penny or two pence. On the top and on the bottom though, it has the words on top, it says internal, and on the bottom, it says postage. So since this doesn't say internal postage, and because it's a 15-pound stamp, um, this is a revenue, and it's a rather scarce revenue from Nyasaland, so I hope we met the expectations. So, Mark, you have an email there on a regum stamp. Why don't we go over some regumming so uh, people can better identify and avoid regum stamps?
2: Oh, boy, regumming again.
1: Uh, when was the last time we talked about regumming? It hasn't been for a while. Three months? Yeah, yeah. what's the background? Four months.
3: On this? I don't have the email.
1: Oh. So, um, wh- what are some of the telltale signs?
3: Well uh, the thing I look for first is um, is uh, does the does the when you turn the stamp over and you're looking at the gum side uh, does it look familiar um, you know here at PSC we're looking at uh, at hundreds of stamps you know um, uh, every week and so you get to you get to uh, have an idea of what the gum looks like or what to expect when you turn over a stamp and so, when well, you turn it over and it looks unfamiliar, that's, that's like a first um, telltale signal uh, to, to me that says, uh, you need to look at this. Well,
2: uh, and let me interject a little bit here. Um, stamps from different eras look different on the back. Um, you're looking at the color of the gum, the texture of the surface of the gum, uh, how much reflectivity there is on the gum and how it reflects the light. Um, all of these things go into what Mark's talking about. It just doesn't look familiar. It doesn't look like what you expected to look for that stamp issue.
3: Yeah. Um, and then uh, the other, uh, another telltale signal, this is even before uh, looking you know, really closely at the stamp, is when you, uh, when you apply lighter fluid, um, there is a certain expectation as to how the lighter fluid soaks into the stamp. And on Regum stamps... Um, uh, there can be a difference um, where it uh, it soaks in slower or or it sl- soaks in, in in a very different way that you expect. Um, that's another that's another red flag um, that tells you I gotta look I gotta look really closely.
1: Well, I heard Jim. Uh, I heard you today talking with Tom, and you said something about the stamp curling. Why don't you tell people about stamp curl?
0: Okay. Well, if you take the postage stamp face down in the palm of your hand, to where you get a little heat, the, the stamp will naturally curl. Um, Why is that? It's got to do with the way the gum is put on the paper. Well, actually, it has
2: to do with the paper. There you go. The papers are generally either a horizontal or a vertical uh, weave. weave. And so that the when the gum is applied, it's applied at whatever room temperature happens to be at the time the stamp is gummed. And as the stamp acquires more or less moisture from the atmosphere, and it's it's not like putting it in a bowl of water. It's it's completely different from that. It's, it's very, I mean, we're talking just the humidity in the air causes the stamp paper to either shrink or expand and it will do so in a manner consistent with which direction the weave of the paper is in. And that's what causes the stamp to curl because the gum doesn't really uh, absorb the the moisture in the atmosphere. It's the paper.
0: So the moisture in your hand uh, is just enough to cause it to curl. The way it was explained to me is if it curls... End to end rather than edge to edge. In other words, if it's like a commemorative size stamp, the long side curls toward the other long side. That's probably that's an g- indication that it's probably original gum. If it goes from end to end, it's an indication it may be regummed, but it's not a one hundred percent. That's that's
2: best. that's it. It can go either way. I mean, you take a special handling stamp. And we have special booklet paper where the weave is Different. ninety degrees from the from the actual sheet stamps, and that's one of the ways that you can tell the booklet paper from the regular paper is okay. whether it, it, you know, which direction it curls in when you hold it in your hand. When a stamp is regummed, quite often it will actually curl corner to corner, and mm-hmm. that's the indication you want to watch out for.
0: I probably misspoke because I was thinking corner to corner when I said. End to end, but the, the point is, is, it's not a 100% guarantee that it's fake or regummed, but it's an indication, like Mark said, you, you can get these little indications, then you start looking for other telltale signs.
2: Right, and that can mean that the gum has been um, something's been done to it. Maybe there's a hinge, light hinge mark that's been brushed away or sweated away or something like that. Something's been done to the gum usually when it mm-hmm. curls corner to corner. It's not as it came from the post office.
0: So then the next step after that is to take a, a magnifying glass. And I, I like to use the 30 power when I'm looking in perf tips and perf holes um, because my eyesight isn't great. <laughs> but um, you can... Then start looking for how the gum is distributed around the perf holes. And uh, often, I, I would say that most regumming that you see has some evidence of the gum in either the perf hole itself or on the fibers that are left when the, on the perf tips when they are separated. And most perforations do have exposed fibers
2: loose fibers from being separated at the very least. And sometimes if the chads are not punched cleanly, a lot of times the chads, as they come off, will leave fibers hanging on the inside of the perf hole. And it, obviously if you have little globs of gum on those fibers, it's definitely not genuine.
0: Yeah, and, and I can usually see with the 30 power um, loop I can see whether there's little dots. They're they're like little globules most of the time. Just re- just remember if it's a lo- if
2: it's been hinged along that side, then then it, then that could just be from hinging. Hinge. But the, you want to s- look on a side where the hinge mark is not right up next to the perforations.
0: Yeah, and and the um, the other way is you can look at the face and if you see gum on the face then you know the gum has at least been tampered with if not regummed so again you need a pretty powerful loop to to see that normally and a very good light right there's a
3: there's a loop that's advertised in lens i think maybe scott sells it or or different kinds but that's it's 30 power it looks like a little tiny microscope but it's all like a plastic thing and it's got an led light And that's the kind that i have and I find that to be very useful when I'm looking in the in the because when I turn on the LED light, the light reflects off the, the gum. So if I'm looking at it from the face, I uh, you know it's it, it immediately pops out that there's that there's light reflecting off the you know either the inside of the hole or off of the so it's head.
2: like a mini microscope.
3: Yeah, yeah, it's uh, and yeah. I think they're they're fairly cheap, like 20 bucks or something
2: like that. I I usually start with an 8 to 10 power and then if I if I'm not. 100% convinced that it's fine, I'll go to something more, but I don't start with the higher magnification.
0: Well, we've talked about different ways to start to right. tell you whether you need to look closer or not. And I think that that's the case with anything that we do. Another another technique that
2: that some use is um how rough or sharp the perf tips are. Um you have to be careful you don't want to crush the stamp. But uh, if, you get, if you get good at practicing this, you can tell if the perf tips are soft versus when they're hard. And when they're hard, that would mean that there's gum where it shouldn't be. You're not feeling the soft, exposed paper fibers. You're feeling the gum-soaked paper fibers, which makes them stiff and hard and actually can, can be actually kind of sharp. And um, it may be just as subtle as the perf tips grab at the ridges on your fingertips, in your fingerprint. Um, it's really subtle. You don't you don't need to put pressure on it. You just need to get your finger close enough to get the, the, just the very edge of that perf tip on your finger. And you can usually tell whether it's sharp or it's soft, and uh, you want it to be soft.
0: I can speak to this because I've seen Scott do that. But as a person who has trouble buttoning their shirt in the morning, I tend not <laughs> to use that technique. Yeah, <laughs> you well, you know a lot of people as they
2: get older, they lose their, they have less yeah. feeling in their h- fingers. And if you have a job which causes you with your h- work with your hands, you get calluses on your fingers and things like that. And honestly, when I was in the Navy, I had calluses on my hand, and this technique did not work for me. But since I've moved into being a professional stamp guy, uh, a lot of those calluses have have gone away, and I'm able to do that now. And it's it's very uh, it's a very valid technique, but it doesn't work for everybody, and it how, has to
0: do. How would you uh, grade uh, the different types of regumming? Do you have a, a scale like we talked about with uh, reperfing? We have a scale, either one to three or one to five, whatever you call it. A, I haven't really come
2: out with a scale. It, usually, it's either it is or it isn't, and it's pretty black and white. Um,
1: uh, is there such a thing as a nicely regum stamp?
2: Well, there's definitely uh, regummed stamps that are extremely difficult to tell. In the early days, um, they would just take any gum and put it on the back, and that was good enough. And then they decided to to get more sophisticated and they would take selvage with gum on it. They would soak it and then they would evaporate off all the water and it would leave just the gooey gum in the bottom of the cup. And then they would use that to regum it. And, uh, now they, they put the stamp down and they actually spray the gum on it, which is even more difficult to detect. And the only hitch is that, however you do it, you still have to make sure that the perfs, both the tips and then the inside of the holes, are clean and clear from from excess gum. And, uh, I mean, there's different methods of doing that, um, most of which are fairly easy to tell with a good magnifier. Um, Some are more difficult and some people are much more proficient at doing this, which makes it very difficult. Um, in particular, the Germans, because they such, put such a high premium on their never hinged stamps from uh, the 1930s and earlier, uh, regumming has become an art form over there. And uh, so their proficiency at regumming is much better than those that usually work over here in the States.
1: Yeah, but the Germans have a major hurdle from. 19, uh, I forget what the first date is, but somewhere in the very early 1920s, like 1921, 22, the gum is put on with machinery that leaves a slight texture. And duplicating that texture into the gum is incredibly difficult. Yeah. Here in the United States, we have flat gum. It was, in a lot of times, it was put on with a paintbrush. Absolutely. So if you're, Duplicating it by putting on gum with a paintbrush uh, is the closer you can get to duplicating the process that it was originally used, the harder it is to detect. Well, one of the problems we have a tough tougher time.
2: One of the problems that um, that people that Regum U.S. stamps have is the fact that our stamps up until the 1950s were gummed before they were perforated. And so when you have a single stamp that's already broken out of a sheet, it c- it's more difficult to make the gum around the perforations look as it would have if it was originally applied. And um, study and, and repetition of seeing how the gum sits around perf holes in different eras is essential to being able to uh, positively identify regummed stamps i mean sometimes it's easy like you said if you see some gum on the face and, and you can see it soak into the perf tips that's real good indication and those are easier to tell but when somebody does a good job it can be a lot more difficult to tell unless you've got the experience of looking very closely at stamps
0: every day. Well and that's the point I wanted to make on the quote unquote air quote uh grading or evaluating the different levels because there's some that's fairly easy to see, but there's some that's very difficult uh even for somebody like me who's spent a couple three years looking at stamp gum. And well, you still still have trouble sometimes well, catching also, the really good You also drops. have
2: to consider the possibility that it is original gum and it was just disturbed. Yes. You know, somebody can, if if you put a stamp in a sweat box to get a hinge off, now you're left with real mushy gum and sometimes it flows to the edges. And sometimes uh, I've seen people take paint brush, real tiny paint brushes and, you know, swish the gum around to even it out. Uh, all these sorts of things look differently when you look at them closely under under oblique lighting, and you get that reflectivity, and it looks different. And a lot of times, you can see the different uh, textures uh, when you when you bounce light off of it at an angle. And um, but it can be completely original gum, and yet a lot of the indications we've talked about will tell you it's regummed, but it's it's original, so it's just disturbed original gum.
1: Albert just joined us. Uh, Albert, we're speaking about regums. Uh, what do you think?
4: I just had a very interesting item uh, uh, among the stuff that I was going through in the last two days. I had a 129. That's the uh, 15 cent type three uh, special printing from 1875. It's the design in the 15 cent uh, 1869, and the stamp had been very cleverly um, regummed then somebody put a hinge mark on it so that you, you would have just thought it was hinged but they also repaired a tear in it and that was visible only from the face of the stamp not from the back of the stamp it was I originally thought it was um, a uh, um, it was an added perf but then I looked at it closer from the face and it was a it was a it was a tear and then the second stamp that I found that was very interesting was there was a group of stamps um, that were mostly non-distinguished. One of them was a 71, but it, I turned it over and looked at the impression. I said, "My goodness, this is a 110," and it's got the typical brown brown gum, and it's um, it's been heavily disturbed. And but it's it is original gum, and that's one of the difficult calls. It's an experienced thing to when it's been disturbed that much to tell whether we call it disturbed original gum or we call it regummed.
1: Yeah, that brings up a really good point that I want to share. Um, you kind of have to understand the process of how stamps are regummed in order to detect regumming. Typically, you'll get the gum, like Scott said. You know, you'll get original gum off. You know, you'll you'll soak five two cent Franklins. In order, or one cent Franklins, in order to get enough gum to regum a valuable one dollar Franklin, and so uh, you will basically paint the gum on with a brush. One of the things that, and this comes from uh, following up on what Albert said, you have to uh, tie the stamp down somehow. And what people use is, a a lot of them will use a post-it note on one of the edges. So, you know, you'll put it across the top edge, and I'll tell you why they use the top edge in just a second. So you put a post-it note across the top perfs, and then you use this fine paintbrush to paint the gum everywhere else. Now, if you have a lot of time, you can avoid the perf holes. If you're trying to do it quicker... Then you might get sloppy and some of the gum goes in the holes. When you take the uh, holder off, in this case, the post-it note, you'll have a blank spot. There won't be any gum there because that's where the post-it note was. Now they'll go and they'll try to feather it over there, but it'll be inconsistent over the rest of it. So how they mask this is it's regummed, but they put hinge marks on the top. So you'll have a regum stamp with hinge marks, and everybody goes, "Well, it's it, it, it's hinged. How could it be regummed? I mean, who would hinge a regum stamp? <laughs> and if you think about it for a second, it's like, well, everybody, you know, you you would hinge the stamp into your album, you know, in the 1930s, they hinge the stamps in. So you regum it in the 1930s, you hinge it, but now today, they would hinge it to hide these blank spots so have uh, anything left on uh, regumming otherwise we'll go to what crossed our desk today and I'll start because I just started collecting a new thing I am going to try to get every US airmail stamp contemporary usage on cover and the Zeppelins will be very easy. They're everywhere. You can buy them in the auctions. Number one through six, probably the same. But I have a funny feeling that starting in about 1950, f- from 1950 to when was the last airmail stamp? 1980s sometime?
2: They they 2011? Yeah, they printed oh, It was 2011.
1: Okay. Yeah, yeah g- getting a 2011. Well, those were, for, those
2: were actually for overseas destinations, mm-hmm. too. So that, that's that's be,
1: going to be a tough one.
2: Those are going to be tough, yeah. yeah. The self-adhesive ones?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, that's my new collecting interest, and the reason why I'm b- bringing up is Jim today gave me a 1949 6-cent, uh, what is this, C?
0: Alexandria? Yeah, C-40. Alexandria.
1: Yeah, C-40. C-40. He gave me a C-40 on cover. It is my first airmail cover. Um What's the destination? Grow, grow little puppies.
0: Well, he he's not as concerned about what the destination is as that it's the proper use of the rate on the cover. Well, if, you, so if you're if you
2: using a, a rate that's designed for v- overseas usage, you want to make sure it's an well, overseas oh, well, destination. Yeah. No, oh, that, yeah. I mean, but uh, that's it's right. got to be yeah, the proper no, in, use for in, the... In that era, it could be a domestic be. usage, yes. Yeah.
1: Oh, I mean, if I wanted to cheat, I could just, you know, get every... Uh, U.S. stamp, you know, airmail stamp, put it on a priority envelope and mail it to me, and then ta-da. Now that, I want them all... Not if you want contemporary cancels. Yeah, I want them all contemporary usage.
0: We're going to just back back up just a little bit. We have discussed this for two weeks at lunch, Cash and everybody, but I've been um, privy to those conversations, so I knew he would be interested in that, and I thought this will get him started, but... Yeah, you when you get into the '60s and '70s and '80s, you're going to be looking in probably dollar boxes because none of those are going to be you know. Uh, how many
2: have I gone by? Oh, <laughs> of course.
0: Yeah, it used to be. And,
1: and a follow-up to last week, um, Steve Petillo gave me a stamp with a booby on it. Uh-huh. Now, last week I spoke about the blue-footed booby. This is the one with a red-footed booby. I didn't even know there was a red-footed booby, but I got a stamp with a red-footed booby on it. So, Mark, what crossed your desk?
2: I still haven't thought of anything.
1: <laughs> so, Scott, what crossed your desk?
2: I have a French stamp from, uh, I forget what the series is called, but it was submitted as a Prussian blue. It's not the Commerce and Navigation. What's, what's that series called?
1: No, that's navigation. Is it navigation yeah. series? And it certainly looks like a pr- Prussian blue to me.
2: Um, and uh, so, uh, unfortunately, there's also a color listed as cobalt blue. And cobalt blue, Prussian blue has more green in it than cobalt blue does. And so, I was talking to my French expert today, and uh, he's going to be out of town for a week. But uh, give me a shout out. He's and, a good guy. Uh, shout out to Leland wolf of wolf stamps and uh, he uh, is local to las vegas he's been him uh, he took over the business from his father who passed away a number of years ago and he specializes in france but he carries modern us as a just as a convenience to customers who want to look for that stuff so anyway
1: because he wants to make money yes
2: he's, <laughs> he's my and he feels he fills modern want lists um so he's my local French expert, and if it stumps him, then uh he knows some uh French experts that reside in France, and uh he always uh helps me out by sending stuff to them so anyway um he kinda he sold off his his Prussian blue, but he's got another one coming in. And, uh, but he told me w- things to look for when you're is to determine whether it's cobalt blue or Prussian blue. And one of the things he says the Prussian blue has more green in it, cobalt blue is more blue. And uh, the other thing he was talking about centering, because there's so few of them are known, uh, there's a certain centering that, that you want to look for as well. And uh, so I just thought it was interesting. It's out of my area, but. Being able to talk to another expert that has a different area and actually pick up some tips on, on looking at stuff uh, it was helpful and kind of fun. So that's what crossed my desk.
1: Albert, what crossed your desk?
4: I think I've mentioned the two most interesting things: the yeah. uh, the 129 that have been uh, that have been repaired and been regummed and a hinge mark put over it, and then also have been reperforated at the left to make it look uh, look well centered. And the other was the number seventy-one that turned out to be a one ten. That was fun to see. You know, we don't normally see mistakes like that made normally. Yeah,
1: so that's a heavily doctored stamp, <laughs> the one that you, the first one. Jim, what crossed your desk?
0: Well, I have a couple of items. Um, I had a number eighty-three submitted. This is the three-cent eighteen sixty-one issue with the sea grill, and um, Albert and I both looked at this stamp. Um, it's just unusual to see a C-grill, so I thought we would talk about that for a minute. The the C-grill is basically, it's a 13 by 16 millimeter, so it's a lot larger than the ones you normally see, which are the E and the F-grills. The C-grill also can be... Um, I don't, know, I don't know if it looks larger, but when they uh, raced the A-Grill, which was the all-over grill, they um, had sometimes, when they applied the C-Grill, there was extra little divots that were left over, so you have to look for that, but it was an interesting stamp. Unfortunately, it was damaged a little bit, but with a little tear but overall it just was an unusual item that i saw the second one that we looked at was a um 39 tied to a piece with a boston cancel and um what well, is number 39 i'm sorry that's the 90 cent 1857 ish perry pardon me perry no, no. It, no, that's not Perry. That's no, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's Washington. Washington.
1: It's Washington. Number, the number 39. Oh, it's the 39. Civil War, okay. The Civil War, 90-cent Washington.
0: It, it, this one was actually the 1858 issue, correct,
4: Albert? I think it's 1860 or 61. Yeah, it's, it's it's very, 60. it's, but it's in that it's issue. It's 61, there's, yeah. There's, 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 probably, there's probably 100 unused copies to every genuine used copy. Yeah. Anyway, so the um, –
0: Well, uh, real
1: quick, why is that?
4: Because of because the start of the Civil War, they demonetized they demonetized the stamps in August of 1861 and replaced them with stamps that they. they the Scott number seventy two. So they had a bunch of them
1: sitting around. They had a bunch of them. Some of them in uh, South Carolina post offices, and they all. The it's funny because the U.S. government demonetized them so that they wouldn't enter the stream and people would steal money from the U.S. government. Uh, the postal clerks in uh, the South were overall a very chivalric bunch, and they refused to. They said, you know, I am the custodian of these. Yes, they are our enemy, but I am the custodian of these, and nobody's going to touch these. Well, nobody did touch them until the Union Army came in. And then when the Union Army came in, they scooped them all up and shipped them all home. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, the
2: other thing was you're talking 1861, and uh, actually not it was lot,
1: closer to 64,
2: 65. Is not, when they all. not a lot of people needed a 90 cent stamp.
0: Yeah well they, they were they one of the reasons that there's so few known is because they were used
4: on big bulk packages and right. things like that
2: which normally came out of larger cities as well
0: right and, and
4: so and primarily to places in Asia
0: yes and well that because it paid a rate um or at least a portion of a rate of the you know,
4: $0.90 cent to it what, was, 120 it was, it was to China. It was originally like designed at the time when it was actually under design. It was to pay the $0.45 quarter-ounce rate by British mails to China
0: mm-hmm.
4: and uh, to also build a rate because the rate, for, their quarter-ounce rate by French mails was $0.53. Cents. But you needed a lot of postage. And one of the, one of the famous $0.90 cent covers goes to the Cape of Good Hope and has a bunch of stamps on it. So
0: anyway, we had this submitted uh, to us. It was on on a piece, so it was and tied to the piece with this Boston cancel and a, a grid cancel uh, killer. So we looked this up. Um, Albert Albert looked at it first and said that this uh, was not a contemporary Boston cancel uh,
4: CDS. All all the Boston all the Boston usages that are in the uh, that are in the pa- Siegel Power Search have the large Boston paid grid. Uh, right. it, it's a grid that has the word paid in it. That's the only cancel that's known from Boston, and including the covers that are known. And uh, I went through I went through the entire eleven or twelve pages of of uh, photos of of used copies, and this just didn't make the grade of any of them.
0: Yeah. No, so then Albert, get, it, it passed to me to be expertized. And based on what Albert had said, I did the same thing. And um, Tom and I both looked it up in the um, power search. And everyone that is used from Boston has that large paid uh, in-grid killer. So this had a fake postmark on it. Um, because it was on a piece, it's kind of hard to tell what condition it was in. Yeah, but it and was definitely was, not used and there was a fake, uh, fake
4: there was a fake european signature underneath uh, expert signature underneath the stamp on the piece
1: well it didn't have to be fake i mean it could have just been you know a real signature of the faker maybe he was autographing
0: his work so the, so it was your opinion that the stamp was also fake no was,
4: i thought the stamp was real yeah. i just thought that it was uh um, Authenticated. It, it had been you know. it had been cleverly soaked off and hinged back in place, yeah. and it had also been signed by some expert, alleged expert, on the back of the stamp.
1: Well, you just uh, for people who are unaware, uh, U.S. number thirty-nine, which is used in fault-free condition, is you know that's rare as hell. Uh, but a used one with small faults. Is in the eight to ten thousand dollar range, whereas a mint no gum one, an unused no gum, you can probably pick one up for six to eight hundred dollars. So literally, it's worth ten times more if you can put a fake cancel on it and get it past some expert somewhere.
0: Yeah, well, the, the, this is just uh, from the current catalog, but the thirty-nine with no gum is fourteen hundred dollars. Yeah. And so properly uh, used is over 10,000. Yep, it's catalog price. yeah. And, and that uh,
1: again, like I spoke about in the last podcast, that's for a VF condition mm-hmm. that is way too low for VF condition.
4: Over most of them Most
1: sure. of the 39 you will have faults because it, it wasn't like they were mailing a nice little envelope these were big bulky things or a package or something like that that had 90 cents worth of postage on it and it wasn't treated they weren't treated well finding a used one with no faults is worth way more than scott's catalog value
0: i think most of the ones you even see in auction catalogs have either been repaired or list the faults oh yeah a lot of them a lot of them
1: have been repaired because This was from the very early days of stamp collecting. This was like the prestige stamp to have in your collection. So people were repairing these stamps in the 1880s. Anything else today? Happy collecting.
0: We need your help. Nothing on the internet is free, including our phone and internet connections. So you can support the podcast by joining the stamp show here today club the cost is ten dollars for a lifetime membership please include your aps member number as we are an aps affiliated club your support is greatly appreciated our brand new spanking address is 5965 harrison drive suite 6 in las vegas nevada 89120
1: you left out the word glorious fabulous (laughs) Because you don't put that on the letter. Oh. Well, you could. You could, yeah. You could, yeah.
2: Well, kids, that's all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank Sideshow Mel, Corporal Punishment, Tina Ballerina, oh, and from Not Landing, Miss Donna Mills. Oh, she was a sport. We've had lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of fun, but now the time has come to go. If this Silcon was found dead in his bed tomorrow, I'd be in heaven, still doing this show. See you some other time.
1: Yay! <laughs> Stamp collecting happens when we dream together.